welcome to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, and I'm a wellbeing and lifestyle coach, EFT practitioner, mum to four kids, and passionate about helping more women to understand and accept their amazing ADHD brains. After speaking to many women just like me, and probably you, I know there is a need for more health and lifestyle support for women newly diagnosed with ADHD. In these conversations, you'll learn from insightful guests, hear new findings and discover powerful perspectives and lifestyle tools to enable you to live your most fulfilled, calm and purposeful life wherever you are on your ADHD journey. Here's today's episode. So hi everyone, welcome back to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I am Kate Moore Youssef, your host, and today I have uh, Lisa Ryan. Now Lisa Ryan is um, an experienced trauma-informed physiotherapist and somatic therapy practitioner, and she supports people who have experienced persistent or chronic pain and health issues like um, fibromyalgia, long COVID, chronic fatigue syndrome, lots of unexplained phys- physical symptoms, burnout, tension, migraines, headaches, IBS, and much more. And her mission is really simple, is to help people find freedom from pain and troublesome symptoms, live well and thrive. And she um, has a special interest in the nervous system. So I've been so looking forward to getting Lisa onto the podcast, because as we all know, that so many of these issues are very present, are often very sort of um, common traits with ADHD and other neurodivergences. So Lisa, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you so much and thank you for having me as well. I've been really excited to, to speak to you. <laughs> oh, so if someone who is listening right now and they are understanding um, finally that this might be ADHD that's been going on for them, you know, I have a lot of people that listen to the podcast who aren't diagnosed, aren't officially diagnosed, mm-hmm. but um, it's a self-diagnosis and they have probably read an article or perhaps listen to a podcast or something and they've kind of like had that epiphany moment of oh my goodness this is what has been me um for all my life but what we don't hear enough of with ADHD is all the um the physical issues the traits that go with that such as the migraines you know there's now lots of articles connecting uh, migraines with ADHD connecting CFS with ADHD I just recently did a workshop um with someone who is a gut expert and we were we were understanding how the gut is impacted by the stress in our body. And of course, if you've got ADHD, it's going to manifest in some some autoimmune or inflammatory condition that's going to happen, mm-hmm. you know, within our body. If we're living under sort of a constant, um, sometimes high level, but often sort of like a low level, it's like a low herm, I describe it as like with anxiety, that's just always there. Mm-hmm. There's a hypervigilance. So we're always sort of scanning for danger and Mm -hmm. worrying and that is going to have an impact um on our bodies i guess genetically how it manifests Mm -hmm. so i guess people who come to you and they say right i've lived with this condition all my life how can i somatically help myself um where would someone start so from that point the nervous system basically because it controls every aspect of our health when the nervous system is dysregulated, if someone has had chronic stress or has had um, trauma, like developmental trauma or experienced trauma through the years, regulating the nervous system is key, really, because when the nervous system is dysregulated, 
it's in that kind of response, protective response, where the world just doesn't feel that safe. So when the world doesn't feel so safe and day-to-day -day is quite stressful, the nervous system will continue to activate that survival response. And the pain mechanism, it's part of the survival response. So every time someone is going through that state of stress or even shutdown, which is our freeze response, um, it, they're likely going to also experience a lot of pain as well because it's part of the survival response. So for example, if someone comes to see me and they've got lower back pain, they've been through all of the investigations, they've tried a lot of things, they might have been referred for some cognitive behavioral ther therapy, they might have gone to therapy and had like a rehab program, rehab plan. And if it hasn't worked, it's then really, really helpful to look at the health of the nervous system. And something like somatic therapy can be really useful for that because it just addresses both the physical and the emotional as aspects of pain. So it's, it's like basically acknowledging that what we've gone through emotionally whether there's been trauma there in our life is acknowledging that the physical pain is connected to that. And if we help heal and release the emotional side, the physical side is, is then helps as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because the aim really is to help and support the body to come out of a protective state. So with the stresses that are faced with ADHD, especially sort of day to day, if we're able to come out of the stress response when things have possibly settled rather than being stuck in that stress response, that can be really, really helpful as well because it comes down to the basics of does the body feel safe in this world or does it feel unsafe in this world? So, yeah, I mean, when you talk about safety and I think about ADHD, I think we have felt probably disconnected, We've not understood ourselves, not understood our behaviour, not understood why certain things feel so hard and have been so hard. So that sort of disconnect um, when we withdraw and we are masking as well, like just the masking alone um, for anyone with neurodivergences um, is exhausting. And um, I know from you know so many people that just having to mask every day is crippling and when mm. people get the diagnosis and they're able to slowly very slowly because again like you say it's the safe aspect you know some people kind of open up and talk about it with their family and their friends but at work then they're, they're not so the mask has to come back on at work I guess the tension and the stiffness and all that in the body goes on all day and then it's like telling ourselves actually we're safe when we come home and doing all sorts of things to our nervous system. But I'm interested to know sort of practically now, so if people are listening and they're like, oh my goodness, yes, I need help with this. They can't see you. Maybe they can't find a somatic therapist near them or they can't afford that. How can they help themselves at home? Yeah, so it can be as simple as doing a grounding and orientating technique. So that it's a really, really helpful technique to, to basically communicate with the nervous system to say, in this very moment, you are okay and you are safe. So for example, um, if someone is working at a desk job and 
all these emails have come through and it starts to become quite stressful because you know there's a lot to get through and might have deadlines etc etc so what they can do is actually if they take a little break and head to the bathroom they can sit on the toilet and just come back to the present moment the nervous system whatever direction it's gone in whether that's a fight flight or freeze state when it gets put into back into the present moment it can start to sort of have a look around and see is this a safe environment or is it not so it doesn't have to be in the bathroom it can be literally anywhere if it's a nice quiet space so you start by grounding so you feel your feet on the ground and you just feel in that support of the chair that's underneath and behind you and you then begin to orientate. So what I mean by that is you start to look at different objects in within your environment. So say, for example, if you do have to sort of get yourself into, into the bathroom, you're sitting on the toilet and you see things like the toilet roll holder or the, um, the door lock. You know, you might read, there might be like an advert on the back of the, back of the, um, yeah, anywhere. And you basically orientate to these objects and it, the nervous system then gets visual feedback from these objects that they are non-life-threatening. So therefore the system automatically starts to calm because it can see for itself that there's no actual danger where that person is. So then it has no choice but to automatically activate that rest and digest relaxation response so that can be done within like 30 seconds obviously sometimes it might take a little bit longer but it's just about doing small techniques like that that just through the day reminds the nervous system that what might be perceived as life-threatening actually that person is in a relatively safe environment yeah if, if it is of course <laughs> yeah of course yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's amazing isn't it what our brain because we've got that sort of old reptilian brain that is is basically like you say the sort of the fight flight or freeze on and it's just scanning for danger and we don't know if an email going to the wrong person is the danger similar danger as like you know like a lion chasing us or we are on a deadline um, and we're not making that deadline or we've forgotten something or we've got or we're late for something. You know, these are all daily occurrences, especially, you know, with people with ADHD. We are our timing is a tricky one. So that feeling of constantly being late um, and racing, making small errors, making mistakes, always checking and double checking the self-doubt is there. Lots of questioning ourselves all the time. So always worrying that we've done something wrong or about to do something wrong or we've misunderstood something and that in itself just living like that every single day like double checking or overcompensating is what I would say it's like many of us are working in environments that don't suit our ADHD and that is due to 
not knowing about our ADHD. So a lot of people I, I work with are sort of like, you know, 40s and 50s and they've worked in a corporate environment and have always felt like a, a low level of anxiety and stress working in that environment. But now only understanding that actually they're suited better when they are moving and they're outside and they are have more freedom and flexibility or they are not under pressure in that capacity. They're just they're maybe wanting to work with their hands or be more creative or anything. I'm generalising, of course. And so they are just in that position where it's almost felt like normal for them. Mm -hmm. It's normal to, to feel this ebb of anxiety, come and go, come and go. So to know that we have something within our reach, and, I, and I, I'm sure this involves sort of the like a breathwork technique as well. And I did something like this the other day where I literally just sat there and put my hand on my heart, hand on my stomach and took some breaths in, long breaths out, long sighs out. And no joke, within 60 seconds, I genuinely, I felt my heart rate go down. I felt I was yawning a lot. I just felt my shoulders totally release. But we forget, don't we? We forget that we've got such a simple technique at our disposal because we're just rushing. We're not present. This is so, We're in a society that is just always racing. And I wonder if all these techniques like somatic therapy and breath work and all of that it's always been around but as the decades have gone and our life has become more fast-paced and our neurodivergences aren't fitting into society anymore I wonder if we are going to need to have these practices instilled in us from a really young age because mm -hmm. we either have to make a choice to change our lifestyle completely or we have to learn to bring in these techniques so we it can almost help us manage an unsustainable lifestyle. I don't know, do you work with a lot of people who are working in fast-paced corporate jobs who are struggling on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, that's kind of most of my caseload, if I'm completely honest, because it's that level of expectation. And, you know, if we think ourselves as, as humans, so humans that would have, you know... Yes, we would have done our work, we would have been farming, we would have, you know, done all the sort of house life admin stuff, but we would also have, we would have rested so much more. We would have been around those campfires, connecting with each other, having those downtimes. It just seems these days there aren't those downtimes. It's just a constant go, go, go. And like you're saying, you know, living with a condition like ADHD, you've got so much more energy then on top of the go, go, go to be able to, yeah, just just function in a way that allows you to kind of, you know, be part of that society in a way. But it's, it's incredibly taxing. And I think once we start looking at life, not just as a human, but through the lens of the nervous system, then we can certainly identify how how massively busy life is that doesn't suit doesn't suit the nervous system it doesn't work with it because we work so much against the nervous system we work against all those cues bodily cues that you know might be screaming at us to say can you please just stop i'm delighted to say i have a new podcast sponsor loop earplugs and if you are anything like me who has noise sensitivity while trying to concentrate or can hear most low-level noises, such as a clock ticking or a fridge whirring, 
it can really stir up our sensory overload. The loop earplugs allow you to tune out of this outside noise, especially if your sensory output is sensitive. Sometimes I need to reduce the outside stimulus to help me focus, relax or sleep. And from the age of about 10 or 11, I've always had to use earplugs at night just to be able to calm the constant noise that's going on inside my head and prevent me from picking up on the slightest external noise. Now, with earplugs, my brain feels quieter and my nervous system can rest. It's hard to describe it as anything else. Just less outside stimulus helps my brain feel relaxed. And the loop quiet are especially effective in helping me find some calm when there's a lot of noise in my environment. So if you are a commuter and find the sensory overload on a train or a bus or a plane is overstimulating, or in the office perhaps, and you, you want something more discreet that doesn't stand out, then the Loop earplugs are fantastic for this. I also really like the Loop Engage because they just help me turn down some of the background noises to help me focus, kind of like a ritual when my Loop earplugs are in, my brain goes into focus mode. And the Loop Engage are a different type of earplug that reduces less, filters the noise and keeps the conversation sharp. Now, loop earplugs are designed to make all sounds less intense so we can hear what's happening around us, but it allows us to process the sensory inputs at a pace our brain prefers without reacting to every little noise. The earplugs also look very cool, very subtle as well, and they are easy to clean. And importantly, come in different interchangeable sizes so you'll always find a size that fits comfortably. And because I love these loop earplugs so much, I've asked for a discount for you all. So here it is. It's loopxww for 15% off. So head to loopearplugs.com and enter the code loopxww. And I'll put all the details on the show notes. Head to loopearplugs.com, enter the code loopxww. You'll be able to get that discount. Now back to today's podcast. What would be one of those bodily cues if we were starting to be more aware and start noticing? What would that, you know, what would that look like to somebody if we, they don't understand how their nervous system shows up in their body? Yeah, so there it would be your kind of muscular tension. So you might not actually feel that tension. You might not feel that pain until you've actually sat and brought yourself back to the present moment. So I get, I mean, I'm digressing a little bit here, but I get a lot of people who say, I don't feel any pain until I actually sit and think about it. But the pain might have always been there, kind of, you know, sort of underlying pain. It can be difficult to actually feel it or understand it as a cue because we're so, we can be so disconnected from our bodily cues to survive the day or survive all the tasks and everything that we're, we're trying to do for that day how would chronic fatigue show up um in our nervous system and what's the what's the connection maybe the better question is what's the connection between our nervous system and something like chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia so from a trauma perspective and a somatotherapy um perspective Chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia tends to be related more to the freeze response. So that's our shutdown response. So you've got your fight, flight, and then you've got your freeze. So the freeze response happens because the body essentially is completely overwhelmed by the perceived danger or threat that's going on in the environment. 
that it shuts down bodily sensations, bodily cues, it slows the digestive process, it slows the heart rate, everything basically just comes to a bit of a shutdown. You can stay functioning. So, you you know, we could argue that there's a functional freeze response as well, where you can continue to function in life, i.e. you're able to get out of bed, you might be able to sort of do the activities of daily living, like showering and getting dressed. But everything seems to be a lot slower. So it's kind of more of a depressive state. The reasoning behind it is that there is so much underlying, so the, the sort of undercurrent of what's underneath the actual how someone is feeling, it's so overwhelming that the shutdown response is actually quite supportive for them to, to deal with their day-to-day. So when emotions, sensations, feelings, or anything is too overwhelming to continue to be experienced through the day, the body goes more into a shutdown so that people can actually deal with all the sort of sensations and feelings a little bit easier because they're not as strong and they're not as, um, how would you say? Intense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, there's a lot, lot of relevance between chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia with the freeze response. Because when, whether we unconsciously or consciously choose to sort of push down these different sensations and feelings and emotions, it takes so much work and energy for the body to push that down that's the kind of the chronic fatigue that people might be experiencing because they're trying to function with high levels of stress but also pushing down that those sort of high levels of stress as well wow yeah i mean that's so beautifully explained so it's like suppressed trauma in your body that is sort of locked in and hasn't been released um, and I am just thinking, you know, with a few people that I know with with CFS and um, it does cro- correlate. But sometimes mm. you don't even know what that trauma is or if we're not informed, we don't even understand what trauma could look like. You know, so many of us think that trauma is like something catastrophic that happens like a one time event. But, you know, trauma can also look like ongoing small you know, small T traumas, sort of living in a dysfunctional house for many years, having a dysfunctional parent or living in poverty. And it doesn't have to be that one catastrophic event. It can just be a, a buildup of layers of, of trauma. Um, so maybe that might help people understand, you know, why they're prone. And it's interesting how you say that it's the freeze, it's the, the stuck energy what um what other sort of issues physical issues do you see that may be to do with other ways our nervous system processes things is there like an opposite of what chronic fatigue is is that maybe migraines or headaches i don't know yeah so i mean it's things like um high blood pressure and you know some people might have irregular heartbeats or you know like i had one lady um coming I saw her the other day and her primary symptom was a racing heart rate but you know she'd had all the cardiology assessments and had been discharged by the cardiologist saying it's anxiety 
and the lady was saying, well, I, I don't have anxiety, um, which was, you know, it's, it's, it's her lived experience. If she doesn't feel like she has anxiety, then it's fair enough. So, but that heart rate, when we dug a little bit deeper, you know, there was actually a lot that had happened to her that she had managed to suppress in some way. So yes, she didn't feel anxious. She said herself, you know, I feel quite chilled out about life. Like there's nothing really stressing me. But actually digging a little bit deeper, there was a huge amount there. And it was as if this heart rate just kept showing up as if, you know, please listen, please hear me out. Like I'm, I'm really quite stressed about the world, hence why my heart rate keeps, you know, increasing and increasing. And then, yeah, once we'd had that conversation, it then transpired that so much had happened to her as a child that she had, you know, understandably pushed it to one side. But it was that heart rate that just kept showing up in a way that, you know, when we look through a nervous system lens, we see that as a stress response. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I, from my personal perspective, I really um, identify with sort of like a hypervigilance and it's like anticipating something. So it's anticipating danger, there's fear, there's worry, it's catastrophizing. And I know these are also, you know, really kind of common traits with people with ADHD. The thing with ADHD is that so many of us look quite different. So there's lots of common traits, but some people experience it a lot more than others. But I would say a huge part of my ADHD is the racing mind and worry. And to be in that state of anticipating, you know, something to go wrong is exhausting. And my husband is always like, why are you always thinking the worst? And now I understand a lot more about my brain and I understand about the, uh, there's something called the default mode network. And um, with ADHD, it's a lot more um, prevalent. It's a much stronger network that we are always um, veering towards this negativity bias. And hence the reason why we, our imaginations are fantastic. We're so creative, but that imagination can also be sort of like the demon side of us as well, because we're, we're worrying about every eventuality. Um, so I know that when I do things like yoga, um, I mean, you know, doing some swimming, cold water swimming, which I've not done for a while, <laughs> um, anything to do with sort of stretching, tapping, moving my body, walking outside in nature, which is all different types of somatic therapy. I mean, if we, we think about the word, you know, somatic, it's like our body. That helps me get out of my head, be as present as possible and move it's like I just see it as sort of like this moving the stagnant energy moving that energy out it's just this recycling kind of filtration process that I have to do every day and I look at people who maybe are more neurotypical and they don't have to move every day they don't have to exercise they don't have to work as hard to feel emotionally regulated and before I you know I had my diagnosis I just didn't understand why some people could just be really happy and chilled and (laughs) their moods didn't you know go up and down and they weren't affected hormonally um and they didn't need have this like very um intrinsic need to move their body and uh, to distill this energy so that what you're talking about shows and really highlights that very strong connection between um the power of somatic therapy and um, using that to help our ADHD. So what I wanted to be able to offer the listeners is ways that they can incorporate 
types of somatic therapy you know it may be not what you do clinically um you know if someone came to see you one-to-one or in a workshop but anything that you could suggest that would help them um move that that energy and, and help them maybe even just feel a bit more present and calm in the situation mm-hmm. yeah so i mean i guess my number one is always it comes back to nature nature is so so grounding you know it's all around us well hopefully but you know it's it's even if it's a plant you know you can have a plant next to your desk and if your eyes can look at that plant and can send that feedback to the nervous system that this is nature this is calming this is grounding you know that that can be really helpful anything to do with nature is is fantastic and it's also finding joy in something i always come back to you know, asking that question, well, what, what does bring you joy? You know, you can do all the physiotherapy exercises in the world for your lower back pain, but how does that actually make you feel? Does it make you feel more stressed because you might not be able to find the time to do it, or you might think you're not doing it right? You know, all these things that could actually make the process quite stressful. If we turn that around and just suggest, you know, do you like dancing to, I don't know, <laughs> I'm going to show my taste in music here, but, um, you know, do you like dancing to the stereophonics, you know, and just jumping up and down and going a little bit crazy to their music? If the response is yes, then great, fantastic. That's you moving your body. That's your nervous system coming back to the present moment, finding joy in that actual activity and nurtures the nervous system and allows it to kind of see that the world isn't so unsafe. It might feel and it might be unsafe, but in that moment in time, it's actually quite safe and quite grounding and nurturing. So I always say nature and finding what brings you joy. And I know that sounds sometimes a little bit too simplified, especially, you know, if people have gone in search for different sort of modalities to, to help their pain so if we use pain for an example I've been thinking about having injections for my hip pain um you know it could be the narrative and just saying yes okay however what about something that brings you joy that's going to actually settle the nervous system take you out of that protective response reduce that pain mechanism um, to lower the the experience of pain and see how maybe that would help as well. Um, and it's it's a really nice discovery of actually, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of activities out there that we might not necessarily think, oh, that's what's going to, you know, reduce our pain or um, support the fatigue that we're, we're experiencing. And um, yeah, and, and find things that actually supports and nurtures the nervous system. Yeah, I mean, I love that the dancing because I know, you know, a lot of people might be quite dismissive of, um, oh, you know, I haven't got time or I'm not, I haven't got access to nature or I can't do X, Y and Z or I can't afford or lots of things. And I know lots of us can come up with excuses, but we can all just put the radio on and have a little dance and a shake. And and I always use this example because someone told it to me a while ago was when you see a dog shake 
um, that's them regulating their nervous system. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe something's happened or like someone's got really, like the dog's got really excited because the doorbell's rang. And then afterwards, you typically see them sort of give themselves a shake. And that is their kind of intuitive bodily way of just like down-regulating. But if we've been sat still, hunched over a laptop all day, and then we move from the laptop to a couch that is all still going to be stuck in our body. Um, and so, yeah, I would say let's let's crank up the music and have a dance. And you know what the sad thing is, is that as we get older, you know, we have to wait once or twice a year to go to a party or go out. And we all go and have that dance and we dance to all the old tunes and everything. And the end of the night, and we're all hugging each other and connecting and so happy. And there's no, you know, coincidence that all those endorphins and everything and the dopamine is because of the dancing and the connection and and all of that. So I you've just inspired me. I'm going to commit to a few days of dancing like no one's watching. <laughs> yeah, that dance with your dog, that's yeah. even uh <laughs> Yeah, exactly. More joyful. I, yeah, I love it. I don't have an opportunity to dance enough, so yeah. um, I'm really up but for that. What sorry, just very quickly what you'd mentioned, you know you'd put your hand on your heart um another hand on the belly. So even self-holding, it um, it activates um, this big chemical release of, like you said, endorphins and everything, just as it would if we were to have a hug from someone else as well. So from a sort of nervous system regulation and self-soothing um, perspective, self-holding is a really, really important one as well, where it's just that kind of in the moment hand even if you give yourself a hug like it's the same with bodily chemical reaction as you would if you you know received a hug from someone else so it's just finding different things that support and nurtures the nervous system to come back down to that relaxation response yeah that's I mean the takeaway from it <laughs> that's so simple isn't it but yeah. you know we we always offering hugs to other people if, if we feel comfortable but the thought of hugging ourselves is it called havening is havening something different or oh I'm not I'm not too sure I tend I call it self-holding um but there's there's a word containment as well that we use in somatic therapy so containment can look like having lots of different pillows around you a nice heavy blanket just mm. to feel contained and held and okay it might not be someone else doing that for you but your body the act of your body feeling held can also settle the nervous system I'll say one more as well there's um you've got lots of nerve endings on the top of your lip which Obviously, as a baby, that would have been a real sort of strong self-soothing mechanism. Mm. You would have had, yeah, you would have been fed by the breast or the bottle, but you would also have had the self-soothing. So as adults, we can do the same. We can put pressure on the top of the on the top of the lips. And yeah, so I'm doing it now, actually. And it's just it's such a quick self-soother. Um, it's lovely because you can you can do that you know, in, in most situations. And if you actually observe yourself, you might realize that you're just doing a lot of that anyway, when it comes to self-soothing from, from stressful environment. Yeah. So that the top of the lip is one of the tapping points in EFT. And funny enough, I always 
go to that one that's my like everyone that does EFT always has one of their points that is that always feels a, a lot stronger and that's my most sensitive part and I always feel kind of intuitively led to kind of like tap on the top of my lip um, and I love that connection because I've never I've never thought about it like obviously like the sucking the the suckling of a baby is so soothing you know and that's why you sort of stick your baby on your breast for hours to just keep them calm and another I was just thinking when you said about the lip is that one of the other tapping points is um, under your arm, um, just kind of where your bra strap is. And that, again, is like a hugging point, isn't it? So instinctively, as like humans, we we know where to, you know, to, to touch people. And sometimes if my daughter is having a bit of a meltdown and I'll just give her a hug if she'll let me and I'll really push you know put some pressure on on that tapping point just under her arm so um because I know that that's a really calming way and also there's a there's a part on your on our hand here which is a karate chop and again we you know when I'm sometimes doing workshops I teach people you know for them to remember that this is kind of instinctively where we go and we like hold our hold hands with someone that again it's human connection um we you know we wring our hands don't we sometimes when we're worried and we sort of just like hold I'm doing this on video but you can't see but it's just yeah it's just being able to find certain points in our body that we have got you know we can all feel empowered and go there um and I think definitely tapping for me has always been the most calming way to just kind of regulate my emotions and kind of come back into my body and ground myself would you say things like walking on grass like barefoot that type of thing is a nice way sort of of somatically kind of calming things down yeah absolutely I mean the science that's coming from that now is um super super fascinating especially when it comes to lowering inflammation helping with that sleep circadian cycles as well so definitely I mean I I try and ground every day you know especially if I've been on the computer for quite some time it's the act of going outside feet on the ground look at my environment letting the nervous system know that you know I'm I'm safe in this present moment so when you're actually barefoot it's even better because you're really getting that sense of grounding where the nervous system nearly has no choice but to kind of come back to the present moment and um, just by feeling feeling the grass and well nothing nothing beats the the beach for me you know the minute I go barefoot on the sand by the beach I'm like I can just feel everything just melting in my mm-hmm. body um mm-hmm. it's just such a, a visceral feeling of the minute I'm on a beach there's sand there's water everything yeah I kind of think maybe yeah. my past life must have must have lived by the beach because that I just yeah. kind of just breathe I'm like oh especially as women um we're really sort of pulled to the sea the moon you know all of those things that helps us to ground just because of the the way we're made up as well we're we, we're made up of you know practically water so even just looking at the sea the waves even if it's on you know YouTube it doesn't have to be necessary in real life but yeah all of that is so nurturing for the nervous system and I think it's you know it's, it's important to sort of give that message of yes we've in a way we have overcomplicated things like chronic pain to the point where something like standing on sand you know might just seem quite trivial like really it's it's a bit too simple 
you know, you're saying that I spent all this money and all these different things to then be told, well, actually, you know, grounding on some grass or some sand can be really beneficial. But yeah, I guess it's a different way of, of looking at how we can support pain and, and fatigue in that way. I think it's that open-mindedness, isn't it? That openness and that welcoming in the opportunity, welcoming in the option that this could work as opposed to shutting it down and dismissing it. Because if we're doing all of this stuff and we don't really believe and we're kind of like being cynical and we're, you know, disregarding it, then it's probably not going to work. But if we go in there and we are like, you know what, I welcome in whatever comes from this. Um, mm -hmm. I always believe that if we go in sort of curiosity and open-mindedness and compassion, that hopefully sort of energetically it will work. Um, and just, just last question, does putting, you know, again, coming back to like your body, putting your hand on your, on your heart or your stomach and giving yourself that affirmation that all is well, you're safe. Does that help the brain tell the body that it's safe to relax? Would you use that as part of your therapy? Yeah, definitely. Because it's, you know, it's, it's all to do with our perception. So when we can let the body know, let the nervous system know that the environment that we're in is safe and whether you say affirmations out loud or you use visual feedback to, to tell you that, you know, in that moment you are safe, it can be so, so helpful and also helpful to rewire the brain where it's going to start to not see the world as scary. Uh, just a quick example, if someone has had um, a history of, of trauma or chronic stress and the brain has then changed into seeing this, the world as a lot more scary, um, to be able to keep reinforcing um, that the world is okay, I say that as in the, the environment that they're in in that moment is okay, um, the doing something that's joyful is okay and it's quite safe is going to be really helpful because our brain our brain's not designed to make us happy our brain is designed to keep us alive so your brain is always going to default into you know is this safe is that safe is that okay to do that etc etc so if we provide enough feedback and it's consistent feedback that you know, things could be, our environment could be um, difficult, our working environments could be difficult. Um, but if we can keep coming back to ourselves and, you know, keep telling the nervous system that you you are safe and you are okay, mm. it's that's what it's going to end up perceiving more often than not then. Yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you. Lisa, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate your knowledge and um, I think your expertise. Um, just talking on this on this topic will be so helpful and just allow people to feel a bit more validated um, and also maybe curious about how they can help themselves um, if they have been living with sort of chronic conditions for a very long time. Um, is there a way that people can work with you and how and where can people find you? Yeah, so um, I do one-to-one -one sessions online. And I also, I've got a course, I've got an online course as well. So it's a go at your own pace course. You can start it and finish it, at, you know, at your convenience. 
Um, so there's, yeah, there's those two. And then sometimes I do some workshops online as well, but everything's online and everything can be found on, on my website. And just, just repeat that website just so people have got it to hand. Yeah, it's uh, www.lisaryanphysiotherapy.com. Fantastic. Amazing. Well, I'll ha- make sure that's all in the show notes as well. But Lisa, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been, it's been brilliant. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. I hope you found what you were looking for in this conversation and it's helped guide you towards some further self-healing, self-exploration, and most importantly, self-acceptance. And if you have enjoyed this conversation and would like to experience more of my work, such as access to exclusive live workshops and opportunities for group coaching sessions, connecting with other like-minded women, and a general feeling of belonging, please come and check out my monthly membership, the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Collective. I've made it as affordable as possible, and I offer you lots of resources and opportunities for connection and support from other women all around the world being diagnosed with ADHD later on in life. I'd absolutely love to see you there. All the details are in this episode's show notes or on my website, adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk. See you in the next episode.